0: Hello everybody, welcome to Tiff Totally, Tiffany Leonard here. So we're going to start now doing the adult drama and family drama TV shows. And these top four, I'll tell you what, three out of the four I absolutely love and adore. And one of them I, you know, I don't like, but I got into it a little bit just, well, I'll tell you why when we get to it, but I'll tell you what. Three out of four of these shows, I absolutely positively love. They've made a huge impact on my life. I mean, wow. So I'm excited to sit here and do the top four of these shows. Um, So the number one show, and I, I mean, this really came as no surprise to me. I I knew going into doing this genre that this show was going to win this entire category. I I just knew it, and it's no surprise to me. This Is Us, which has been on since 2016 and will uh, be airing this fall. It's last season. Season 6 will be the final, so that would have it going until 2022. So, the series follows the lives of siblings Kevin, Kate, and Randall, known as the Big Three, and their parents, Jack and Rebecca Pearson. It takes place mainly in the present and uses flashbacks to show the family's past. Kevin and Kate are the two surviving members from a triplet pregnancy born six weeks premature on Jack's 36th birthday in 1980. Their brother, Kyle, is stillborn. Believing they were meant to have three children, Jack and Rebecca, who were white, decide to adopt Randall, an African-American child born the day before and brought to the same hospital after his biological father, William Hill, abandoned him at a fire station. Jack dies when his children are 17 and Rebecca later marries Jack's best friend, Miguel. Randall becomes a successful finance professional and marries college classmate, Beth. They raise two daughters, Tess and Annie, and adopt a third, Deja. Kevin becomes a successful actor while struggling to be taken seriously. After lacking direction much of her life, Kate meets and marries Toby, pursues a career in music, gets a degree, and becomes a mother. Most episodes feature a storyline taking place in the present, 2016-2021, to 2021, contem- contemporaneous with airing, and a storyline taking place at a set time in the past, but some episodes are set in one time period or use multiple flashback time periods. Flashbacks often focus on Jack and Rebecca circa 1980, both before and after their baby's birth, or on the family when the big three are children or adolescents and played by two sets of younger actors. These scenes usually take place in Pittsburgh, where the big three and their parents are born and raised. As adults, their homes vary more widely, Kate lives in Los Angeles, Randall and his family are in New Jersey and later Philadelphia, and Kevin relocates from Los Angeles to New York City and back again with a brief return to western Pennsylvania along the way. Various other time periods and locations have also served as settings, and some episodes have focused on the earlier experiences of other characters, including Randall's family members William, Deja, and Beth. Beginning in the second season, the show also uses flash-forwards to show a later time period when Randall's daughter Tess is an adult and an elderly Rebecca is on her deathbed. The main casting characters of This Is Us include Milo Ventimiglia as Jack Pearson, Rebecca's first husband, Kate and Kevin's biological father, and Randall's adopted father, also portrayed by Joaquín Obregón as a child. Mandy Moore as Rebecca Pearson, Jack's wife, Kate and Kevin's biological mother, and Randall's adoptive mother. Grandmother to Deja, Tess, and Annie Pearson, Haley and Jack Damon, and Nicholas and Franny Pearson. Also portrayed by Ava Castro and Kaya Cruz as a child. Sterling K. Brown as Randall Pearson, Jack and Rebecca's adopted son, Kate and Kevin's adopted brother, Tess, Annie, and Deja's father, and Jack and Haley Damon's and Franny and Nick Pearson's uncle. Also portrayed by Niles Fitch, ages 16 to 18, and Lonnie Chavis, ages 9 to 12. Chrissy Metz is Kate Pearson, Jack and Rebecca's biological daughter, Kevin's biological sister, and Randall's adoptive sister. Deja Tess, Annie, Franny, and Nick's aunt, Toby's wife, and Jack and Haley Damon's mother also portrayed by Hannah Zeeley, ages 16 to 18, and Mackenzie Hank sack ages 9 to 12. Justin Hartley is Kevin Pearson, Jack and Rebecca's biological son, Kate's biological brother, and Randall's adoptive brother, father to Nick and Franny, and uncle to Deja Tess and Annie Pearson, and Jack and Haley Damon also portrayed by Logan Schroyer, ages 16 to 18, and Parker Bates, ages 9 to 12. Susan Kalichi Watson as Beth Clark Pearson, Randall's wife and mother of Deja, Tess, and Annie, also portrayed by Rachel Hilson, ages 16 to 18, and Akira Akbar as a child. Chris Sullivan as Toby Damon, Kate's husband, and Haley and Jack Damon's father, also portrayed by Luke Clark as a teenager and Dylan Gage as a child. Ron Cephas Jones as William Shakespeare Hill, Randall's biological father, also portrayed by Jermel Nakia as a young adult. John Huertas as Miguel Rivas, Jack's best friend and Rebecca's second husband. Alexandra Breckenridge as Sophie, Kate's childhood best friend, as well as Kevin's childhood love and ex-wife, also portrayed by Amanda Leeton ages 15 to 19, and Sophia Cotto, ages 10 to 12. Eris Baker as Tess Pearson, Randall and Beth's older daughter, also portrayed by Iantha Richardson as a young adult. Faith Herman as Annie Pearson, Randall and Beth's younger daughter. Melanie Liburd as Zoe Baker, Beth's cousin and Kevin's ex-girlfriend, also portrayed by Brianna Reed as a teenager and Dakota Bocelli as a child. Lyric Ross as Deja Pearson, Randall and Beth's adopted daughter, also portrayed by Mackenzie Lee Foster as a child. Asante Black as Malik Hodges, Deja's classmate and later boyfriend, has an infant daughter from a prior romantic relationship. Griffin Dunn as Nicholas Nicky Pearson, Jack's brother, and Kevin, Kate, and Randall's uncle, also portrayed by Michael Angarano as a young adult and Donnie Mas- Masihi as a child. And Caitlin Thompson as Madison Simons, Kate's Kate's best friend and mother of Kevin's twins, Franny and Nick. This Is Us originally began as an 80-page movie script that Dan Fogelman was developing while working for ABC Studios in the spring of 2015. The storyline, which Fogelman admitted to not having a definite direction, revolved around the lives of eight adults who, as it would be revealed, were octoplets. After moving to an eight-figure deal with 20th Century Fox Television, Fogelman made the decision to develop a television series from the characters of his original script, cutting a few characters and shortening the script to 45 pages before bringing it to the studio. Jennifer Salk, president at NBC, commented on the conception of a title for the series, saying, The title didn't come easy, but this is us tapped into everything, and the show is about us. It has been revealed that other ideas for the title included 36, Happy Birthday, and The Story of Us. Despite positive reviews from both 20th Century Fox Television and sister company Fox, there were concerns regarding the lack of views it would attract on the network, leading Fox to sell it to NBC. Fox did so because NBC promised to use the high volume of viewers from The Voice and the Summer Olympics to bring additional viewers to the series, and Fox wanted to solidify the reputation of its studio among writers and directors as placing shows where they are most likely to succeed, even if it is not Fox. On September 27, 2016, NBC picked up the series for a full season of 18 episodes. In January 2017, NBC renewed the series for two additional seasons of 18 episodes each. The second season premiered on September 26, 2017. The third season premiered on September 25, 2018. And in May 2019, NBC renewed the series for three additional seasons. The fourth season premiered on September 24, 2018. 2019, and the fifth season premiered on October 27, 2020. On May 12, 2021, it was announced that the series will conclude with the sixth season. The Commitment to Diversity Fogelman intentionally recruited behind-the-scenes talent that would reflect the diversity of his cast with the goal of bringing greater authenticity to the dialogue and storylines. These include black directors Regina King and George Tillman Jr., and black female writers Kay Oyegun and Jazz Waters, part of a 30% black core writing staff that far outpaces the industry standard of 5%. In addition, Fogelman's sister, Deborah, who struggles with weight, were one of the initial inspirations for the show, serves as a consultant. And from Cosmopolitan, I have here 25 This Is Us facts only a super fan would know. Warning, you might cry while reading this. Okay, series creator Dan Fogelman knows how the show will end. I do, yes, he told Glamour in 2017, while also warning fans that he plans to continue the show for a limited amount of seasons. I think I have kind of know what the next four or five or six seasons look like of the show. I don't have every single moment planned out, but I know where the big moves are for the show in every season. Because this show plays with time so much, you need to have a plan. This Is Us was initially envisioned as a movie. Fogelman first wrote This Is Us as a feature film with Jack and Rebecca Pearson giving birth to octuplets. Is that even possible? But the project never felt like a movie, as he told Emmy magazine, and he later realized the story was better suited for the small screen. The reason I was struggling with the film wasn't the plot, it was about these characters and how I didn't want to beginning, middle, and end them, he said. I wanted to do this continuous story, which felt very much like the theme of the show. This Is Us wasn't the original title. It was originally called 36, which is the age they're all turning at the beginning, Fogelman told Glamour of the first title, which he says he and other executives never liked. I came up with This Is Us, I think, when I was an editorial. I decided I liked how it looked at the beginning of the show and I put it there, but there was a lot of debate over what the title of the show was going to be. Mandy Moore is the youngest CORE cast member, despite playing one of the oldest characters. On the show, Mandy Moore plays the Pearson family matriarch, Rebecca, from the ages of 27 to 66. But in real life, she's actually the youngest of the CORE cast at 34, younger than all of the actors who play her. Milo Ventimiglia donated his real car to production. You know the Chevelle that Jack drives his kids around on the show? That's actually Ventimiglia's real car, which he gave to production. They were looking for a Camaro, and I was like, you can't put Jack Pearson in a Camaro, he told Access. Access. After realizing it was period appropriate, he decided to give up the car on one condition. I go, okay, well you can use my car no problem, but whatever you're going to pay me for goes back to coffee trucks and burger trucks for the crew, he said, just when we thought we couldn't love him anymore. The show created extra security measures to ensure that details of Jack's death didn't leak. The circumstances surrounding Jack's death became such a huge event in Season 2 that the show had to pull out all the stops to keep it from leaking. Per The Hollywood Reporter, script pages were redacted, code names were employed, and everyone from crew members to extras had to sign non-disclosure agreements. Scenes were also shot out of order to throw off paparazzi. It wasn't like this before, Moore told THR at the time. It's like suddenly we're on Lost. Writers incorporated Kate's love for singing after discovering Chrissy Metz's voice. When the producers found out Chrissy Metz could sing, they immediately had to put that in, Chris Sullivan, who plays Kate's husband Toby, said via Glamour. She sang live on set twice, they recorded it, and that's what you saw on television. Justin Hartley's real-life wedding took place at the same venue as Kevin's rehab scenes. That rehab where Kevin underwent treatment and therapy for his alcohol addiction, it's actually Malibu's Casamigos Ranch, which, oddly enough, is also where Kevin's real-life counterpart got married. He had to do this brutally intense scene from the show where his character is lashing out and is torn in two, and then have this really beautiful wedding in the exact same place, executive producer Isaac Aptaker told Entertainment Weekly. I think he actually spent his first night as a married man either in the room that Kevin was supposed to be staying in or the adjacent room. It was just a weird coincidence. Sterling K. Brown has improvised some of Randall's most pignant lines. Brown became known in Season 1 for adding subtle but significant tweaks to his lines, often making them even more reflective of Randall's experience as an upper-class man of color. THR reports that in a scene where he and his biological dad catch the eye of a couple after arguing outside in a predominantly white neighborhood, Brown ad-libbed the line, Just your friendly neighborhood black man. He also threw in the line, I'm still black, we gotta go, in a scene where he and Kevin hear police sirens after getting into a fist fight in Times Square. Brown was also the one to suggest this fan-favorite storyline. In addition to improvising some of his lines, Brown occasionally pitches ideas to the writers. He was the one to suggest tackling the storyline of how Beth and Randall first met, which was explored further in Season 2. Very often, you choose somebody who looks like your mom, but Randall makes this conscious choice to be with a black woman, he told THR ahead of the sophomore season, and I really want us to explore that. Susan Clichy Watson and Ron Suffish Jones rehearsed their pot brownie scene. Before filming, the actors actually got together on their day off to rehearse the scene. Ron and I were nerds and got together that weekend prior and just talked about the scene, Watson said, per Glamour. We did not eat pot brownies together. There was no pot in the brownies on set either. Metz was one of two very different final candidates for the role of Kate. As THR revealed, both women only had a few credits to their name but represented very different ideas of what passes for heavy on television. Producers ultimately decided Metz brought more authenticity to the part and hired her. She's since been nominated for two Golden Globes and an Emmy. Brown's wife has appeared on the show. Brown is married to fellow actor Ryan Michelle Bath, who actually appeared in three episodes of the show's first season and returned on season three, episode two of Philadelphia Story. She made her debut in the episode The Pool as Yvette, the mother of one of young Randall's friends. Yvette ends up playing a small but significant role in the Pearsons' interracial adoption journey, memorably advising Rebecca on how to cut Randall's hair properly. Fogelman's sister is the real-life inspiration behind Kate. Though she and Metz haven't met in person, although they are Facebook friends, Fogelman's sister reportedly reads every script and sends back notes, particularly around Kate's storyline. Let me tell you, there's nothing better than telling a room full of professional writers my sister had a note on page 5, Season premieres always take place on the Big Three's birthday. This Is Us is filled with meaningful details, so it's no surprise that even the structure of its episodes has significance. Every season premiere of the show so far has taken place on August 31st, also known as the shared birthday of Randall, Kate, and Kevin. It's also the birthday of their late dad, Jack, which usually results in some bittersweet emotions on the day. Caitlin Thompson, who plays Madison, is Fogelman's wife. Fans will recognize Thompson as Madison, a member of Kate's weight loss support group who first infuriates her and later becomes a close friend. What they may not know is that Thompson is married to Fogelman in real life. The two tied the knot in 2015. Mets used to represent Hannah Zeely, who plays the younger version of Kate. Zeely may look a lot like Metz, but the two share a deeper real-life connection. I actually used to represent her when I was an agent, Metz told THR. It's full-circle life. Life is so crazy. I've been a huge fan of hers for as long as I've known her. Fantomelia first saw Moore at the premiere for A Walk to Remember. During an interview on the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Chatter podcast, Ventimiglia revealed the first time he crossed paths with future future on-screen wife. The first time I laid eyes on Mandy Moore, I was at a premiere for a movie called A Walk to Remember in 2002, he reminisced. No joke, man. My buddy was running the premieres and I couldn't make it to the actual film, but he said, Hey, why don't you come to the party after? Ventimiglia remembers seeing Moore across the room, although he says they didn't actually meet that day. Ventimiglia screen tested with three actresses, including Moore, during the casting of Rebecca. It took more than a decade after that premiere for Ventimiglia to officially meet Moore. The first time we met was at the This Is Us test, he said on awards chatter, Dan Fogelman hadn't given me any indication of who he liked between Mandy and the other two actresses I read with, but after that reading, it was very clear that it had to be Mandy. It had to be her, and thankfully, he turned out to be right. Moore says some of the season one scenes with Jack and Rebecca hit close to home. Season 1 featured some brutal fights between Jack and Rebecca, some of which Moore, who got divorced in 2016 after seven years of marriage to singer Ryan Adams, says reminded her of her past relationship. Sometimes it hits really close to the bone, Moore said on Awards Chatter in 2017. There were certain scenes and bits and pieces of the season with Jack and Rebecca that echoed things that I've experienced in my own life almost to a T that just blew me away. There's a significant meaning behind Dr. K's name. Dr. Katowski, played by Gerald McRaney, is named after both Vogelman's in-laws and his favorite baseball team. "'My wife's father's side of the family are Katowski's, Polish, and I always liked the name, so I put that name in there for her side of the family,' he told Glamour. As for the character's nickname, Dr. K., Fogelman said, "'I'm a huge New York Mets fan, so ballplayer Dwight Gooden was Dr. K because the symbol for a strikeout in baseball is a K, and I always thought that would be a funny thing to nickname a doctor.'" Brown says Randall's storyline with his biological dad was cathartic to him. Brown, who lost his father at the age of 10, said on the Awards Chatter podcast, it was my entree into the character, fathers and sons. I'm glad it resonated with people because it was cathartic for me. He added, I felt like I got a chance to say goodbye to my dad. The writer's room occasionally invites speakers to share personal experiences. Knowing the wide range of stories This Is Us encompasses, Fogelman made it a point to assemble a writer's room that's diverse in age, race, gender, etc., but there are still times when the writers lack firsthand knowledge of some of the experiences they're writing about. In those cases, they consult with outside speakers who were invited to the room to share their stories. Per THR, the show has brought in multiple people to discuss various perspectives of transracial adoption. Ventimiglia is basically the dad of the cast. As number one on the call sheet, Ventimiglia has taken the lead in creating a close-knit relationship among the cast and crew. The actor regularly checks in with the other actors and oversees various show-related text change, including one just for the Pearsons. How cute is that? Ahead of season two, he also had trucker hats made for every cast and crew member with the Jack's Big Three Homes logo on them. And that 2018 Super Bowl episode included actual footage of the Super Bowl. Season 2 Super Bowl Sunday episode told the stories of two different Super Bowl viewings, past and present, and was specifically timed to air on NBC right after the end of the Super Bowl. So it was a particularly impressive editing feat when the show included actual footage of the real-life Super Bowl that had just aired in the episode. So... This Is Us, I mean, it's an incredible show. And I'll admit, at first, when I got started getting into it and it started with the flashbacks and the flash forwards, you really have to pay attention to the detail. Because if you don't, it is very hard to miss what the show is about and it can become hard to follow just because it really does go back and forth. So... And especially if you miss an episode and you, you know, if you miss an episode and you go to watch the next one, you're really, you're really going to be lost. You really have to watch every single episode and you have to pay careful attention to <clears throat> to each and every story because it's really going to be. If you miss any parts in the story, it's going to be extremely complicated. So you have to make sure that you are carefully following each and every um, part of each episode, every story, every character, like every detail because it's so important for you to like understand and follow the show. I mean... Every episode, it can make you laugh. It can make you cry. It can be relatable. And I just really feel like the characters are, I mean, they're definitely portrayed so well. They fit their parts. And, you know, I can't say enough good things about the writing of the show. It's just, it feels so perfect. It just really works and you know a lot of the stories you know they feel so real it's like you wouldn't think like it just kind of seems like you're actually living a real life life story is kind of how I feel and you know I I've always loved Mandy Moore I mean I've known of her since like the late 90s when she like had her song Candy and Milo you know he was in Gilmore Girls as Jess so I came to know him from there and all the other actors it's just you know you come to like grow this special bond with them even though you don't really know them it's like this They have this bond, and it's just so, it's so incredible to see and to watch, like, the younger kids, like, grow up into their character is just, like, totally amazing. And so, I mean, This Is Us is a great show, and I'm really sad it's going to be ending, but, you know, Dan Fogelman had said since, like, season two, season three, whatever, you know, he knew that this was only going to last about six seasons because he has the ending written out. And so it, it's expected. Uh, you know, I, I was aware that it's going to be ending. I'm just, there's so many unanswered questions and so much more to see that I'm kind of excited to see how it's going to end. So I'm really excited for this last season, even though it sucks, it's going to be the last you know, I just, I'm really hoping that it gets the credit it, deserve, it deserves. I hope it gets a well thought out planned ending. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be great. I'm really excited and I absolutely cannot wait. Okay, this is the show that came in second place that this show means a lot to me. And I'm, I'm a new watcher of this show. I, I've known about it for years. My grandma, I know, used to watch it. But I got into it during the pandemic. Um, because it was on, like, it's on constantly. Like, there's certain channels. Like, um, I subscribe to Philo, which is an app. like Kind of like a cable TV app. And so just constantly I was seeing the Waltons and I'm like okay I've heard of this show for years why not just watch it and like on Philo there's like a feature that you can use kind of like a DVR so I just like recorded every single episode and watched it and it literally would take over my life I Spent the entire day just watching the Waltons. I I fell in love with it from the first episode to the very last. Like, literally, I feel like I couldn't love a show more. I couldn't love any of these characters more. And I, I did. I absolutely fell in love with the Waltons. And then I was sitting here, like, asking myself, like, why didn't I watch this when I was younger? You know, I mean, but gosh, I absolutely just love it. And I'm so glad that I discovered this show and its stories. I, I mean, the acting is just so beautiful. It's just so incredible. And I was so excited to, I'm, first of all, I'm excited that it made it to second place. Um, you know, I would have put it above This Is Us, but that's just me. Um, and I'm also just so incredibly excited that, to just share my love of this show and how much I absolutely love it. So it's just, it's a great honor that I just, oh, this show is so amazing and Wow, one of my definitely one of my all-time absolute favorites. So the Waltons was on from 1972 to 1981. It's an American historical drama television series about a family in rural Virginia during the Great Depression and World War II. It was created by Earl Hamner, Jr., based on his 1961 book, Spencer's Mountain, and the 1963 film of the same name. The television movie, The Homecoming, A Christmas Story, was broadcast on December 19, 1971, Based on its success, the CBS Television Network ordered one season of episodes based on the same characters that became the television series The Waltons. Beginning in September 1972, the series subsequently aired on CBS for nine seasons. After the series was canceled by CBS in 1981, NBC aired three television film sequels in 1982, with three more in the 1990s on CBS. The Waltons was produced by Lorimar Productions and distributed by Warner Brothers Domestic Television Distribution and Syndication. The show's end sequence featured the family saying goodnight to one another before drifting off to sleep, and according to the BBC, which also aired the series, Goodnight John Boy was one of the most common catchphrases of the 1970s. The main story is set in Walton's Mountain, a fictional mountain area community in fictitious Jefferson County, Virginia. The real place upon which the stories are based is the community of Schweiler in Nelson County, Virginia. The time period is from 1933 to 1946, during the Great Depression and World War II, during the presidential administrations of Franklin D. Roosevelt and Harry S. Truman. The year 1933 is suggested by a reference to the opening of the Century of Progress exposition in Chicago, a brief shot of an automobile registration, and it is divulged in Episode 5 that the date is in the spring of 1933. The last episode of Season 1, An Easter Story, is set in February through April 1934. The year 1934 takes two seasons to cover, while some successive years are covered over the course of a few months. The series finale, The Revel, revolves around a party and the invitation date is given as June 4, 1946. A span of 13 years is therefore covered in nine seasons. There are some chronological inconsistencies, most of which do not hinder the storyline. The first three reunion movies, A Wedding on Walton's Mountain, Mother's Day on Walton's Mountain, and A Day for Thanks on Walton's Mountain, all produced in 1982, are set in 1947. Of the later reunions, a Walton Thanksgiving reunion, filmed in 1993, is set in 1963, and revolves around President John F. Kennedy's assassination. A Walton Wedding, made in 1995, is set in 1964, and A Walton Easter, filmed in 1997, is set in 1969. The series began relating stories that occurred 39 years in the past and ended with its last reunion show set 28 years in the past. The story is about the family of John Walton, Jr., known as John Boy, his six siblings, his parents, John and Olivia Walton, and paternal grandparents, Zebulon Zeb and Esther Walton. John Boy is the oldest of the children, 17 years old in the beginning, who becomes a journalist and novelist. Each episode is narrated at the opening and closing by a middle-aged John, Jr., voiced by author Earl Hamner, on whom John Boy is based. John, Sr., manages to eke out a living for his family by operating a lumber mill with the help of his sons as they grow older. The family income is augmented by some small-scale farming, and John occasionally hunts to put meat on the table in the simpler days of their country youth all of the children are rambunctious and curious but as times grow tough the children slowly depart from the innocent carefree days of walking everywhere barefoot while clad in overalls and hand sewn pinafores and into the harsh demanding world of adulthood and responsibility The family shares hospitality with relatives and strangers as they are able. The small community named after their property is also home to folk of various income levels, ranging from the well-to-do Baldwin sisters to elderly spinsters who distill moonshine that they call Papa's Recipe. Ike Godsey, postmaster and owner of the general store, with his somewhat snobbish wife, Cora Beth, a Walton cousin she calls her husband Mr. Godsey, an African-American couple, Verde and Harley Foster, Maud Gormley, a sassy octogenarian artist who paints on wood, Flossie Brimmer, a friendly though somewhat gossipy widow who runs a nearby boarding house, and Yancey Tucker, a good-hearted handyman with big plans but little motivation. Jefferson County Sheriff Ep Bridges, who fought alongside John in World War I, keeps law and order in Walton's Mountain. The entire family, except for John, attends a Baptist church, of which Olivia and Grandma Esther are the most regular attendees. In the signature scene that closes almost every episode, the family house is enveloped in darkness save for one, two, or three lights in the upstairs bedroom windows. Through voiceovers, two or more characters make some brief comments related to that episode's events and then bid each other goodnight, after which the lights go out. After completing high school, John Boy attends fictional Boatwright University in the fictional nearby town of Westham. He later goes to New York City to work as a journalist. During the latter half of the 1976-77 to season, Grandma Esther Walton suffers a stroke and returns home shortly after the death of her husband, Grandpa Zeb Walton. Reflecting Ellen Corby's real-life stroke and the death of Will Gear. they were the actors who portrayed those characters. During the series' last few years, Mary Ellen and Ben start their own families. Aaron, Jason, and John Boy are married in later television movie sequels. Younger children, Jim, Bob, and Elizabeth, struggle to find and cement true love. World War II deeply affects the family. All four Walton boys enlist in the military. Mary Ellen's physician husband, Curtis Kurt Willard, is sent to Pearl Harbor and is reported to have perished in the Japanese attack on December 7, 1941. Years later, Mary Ellen hears of sightings of her late husband, investigates and finds him alive, played by another actor, but brooding over his war wounds and living under an assumed name. She divorces him and later remarries. John Boy's military plane is shot down, while Olivia becomes a volunteer at the VA hospital and is seen less and less. She eventually develops tuberculosis and enters an Arizona sanatorium. Olivia's cousin, Rose Burton, moves in at the Walton House to look after the family. Two years later, John Sr. moves to Arizona to be with Olivia. Grandma appears in only a handful of episodes during the eighth season. She was usually said to be visiting relatives nearby Buckingham County. Consistent with the effects of Ellen Corby's actual stroke, Grandma rarely speaks during the remainder of the series, usually limited to uttering brief one or two word lines such as, No! or Oh! Boy! Six feature-length movies were made after the series run, set from 1947 to 1969. They aired between 1982 and 1987. The main cast and characters of The Waltons John John Boy Walton, Jr., played by Richard Thomas, seasons one through five, guest in season six, three movie sequels. Robert Whiteman in seasons eight through nine in one movie sequel, is the eldest of the seven children. John Walton Sr., played by Ralph Waite, the family patriarch. Andrew Duggan starred as John Sr. in the homecoming movie only. Olivia Walton, played by Michael or Ned, the Patriarch. Patricia Neal starred as Olivia in the Homecoming movie only. Zebulon Grandpa Walton, played by Will Gear, John's father. Edgar Bergen starred as Zebulon in the Homecoming movie only. Esther Grandma Walton, played by Ellen Corby, John's mother. Jason Walton, played by John Walmsley, in the entire series in six movies, the second oldest brother, musically talented. Mary Ellen Walton, played by Judy Norton Taylor, in the entire series in six movies, headstrong oldest daughter who becomes a nurse. Aaron Walton, played by Mary Elizabeth McDonald. McDonald, the entire series and six movies, the second Walton daughter, works as a telephone operator and as a manufacturing supervisor. Benjamin Ben Walton, played by Eric Scott in the entire series and six movies, is the third Walton son and has an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit. James Robert Jim Bob Walton, played by David W. Harper in the entire series and six movies, is the youngest Walton's son, mechanically inclined. Joseph Zebulon Walton, twin to Jim Bob, who died at birth, has a reference in Season 4, Episode 16, The Secret. Elizabeth Walton, played by Cammie Kotler in the entire series and six movies, is the youngest of the seven children. Ike Godsey, played by Joe Conley in the entire series, proprietor of the General Mercantile. Cora Beth Walton Godsey, played by Ronnie Claire Edwards, is John Walton's cousin and later Ike Godsey's wife. Curtis Willard, played by Tom Bauer in seasons 5 through 7 and one episode in season 9, is Mary Ellen's husband. Cindy Walton is played by Leslie Winston, seasons 7 through 9, and four of the reunion movies, who is Ben's wife. And Rose Burton, played by Peggy Ray, seasons 8 through 9, and one sequel, Olivia's matronly cousin who fills in his matriarch during Olivia's absence. Earl Hamner's rural childhood growing up in the unincorporated community of Schweiler, Virginia, provided the basis for the setting and many of the storylines of the Waltons. His family and the community provided many life experiences which aided in the characters, values, area, and human interest stories of his books, movies, and television series. Hamner provided the voiceover of the older John Boy, usually heard at the beginning and end of each episode. John Boy Walton's fictional alma mater, Boatwright University, is patterned after Richmond College, which became part of the University of Richmond on, Boat, on Boatwright Drive near Westham Station in the west end of Richmond, Virginia, about 70 miles east of Schweiler. The town of Walton's Mountain was built in the rear of the main lot at Warner Brothers Studios, bordering the Los Angeles River, but the mountain itself was part of the Hollywood Hills Range opposite Warner Studios in Burbank, California, the reverse side of which, and slightly to the east, is Mount Lee and the Hollywood sign. The Walton's House facade was built in the back of the Warner Brothers lot. After the series concluded, this set was destroyed. For the reunion shows, a replica Walton's House facade was built on the Here Come the Bride set on the Columbia Ranch Studio, now part of the Warner Brothers Studios. The Walton's House is still used as scenery at Warner Brothers. For example, it serves as the Dragonfly Inn on the Gilmore Girls. The Waltons won the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Drama Series in 1973. Also in 1973, Richard Thomas won the Emmy for Lead Actor in a Drama Series. Michael Lerner won the Emmy for Lead Actress in a Drama Series three times, 73, 74, and 76. Ellen Corby was also a three-time winner in the Supporting Actress category, winning in 73, 75, and 76. Will Gear was awarded the Supporting Actor Emmy in 75. Veteran actress Beulah Bondi won an Emmy in 1977 for lead actress in a single performance for her guest appearance as Martha Corinne Walton in the episode The Pony Cart. She first appeared in the Waltons episode, The Conflict, as the widow of Zeb Walton's brother. The series itself earned a Peabody Award for its first season. In 2013, TV Guide ranked the Waltons number 34 on its list of the 60 best series of all time. In 2017, from March 20th through the 24th, INSP network remembered the life of Earl Hamner Jr., who had died in 2016, by featuring clips of interviews once per episode with him about his time involved with the Waltons during the breaks while its syndicated reruns aired from 3 to 5 p.m. and again at 7 p.m. On January 27, 1992, then-President George H.W. Bush said, we are going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family to make American families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. In response, the Simpsons made a short animated segment for a repeat showing of the episode Stark Raving Dad, where the family watches the speech and Bart remarks, Hey, we're just like the Waltons. We're praying for an end for depression, too. The Walton's Reunion movie collection includes A Wedding on Walton's Mountain, released in 1982, Mother's Day on Walton's Mountain, released in 1982, A A Day for Thanks on Walton's Mountain, released in 1982, A Walton Thanksgiving Reunion, released in 1993, A Walton Wedding, released in 1995, and A Walton Easter, released in 1997. These Are the Days, an animated TV series produced by Hanna-Barbera, which was inspired by the Waltons. And not really sure where you can watch that, but uh, worth looking up because I have never seen or heard of it. (laughs) From Do You Remember? 10 Unbelievable Secrets About the Waltons Audiences Never Saw Coming Within the realms of TV families, the Waltons always presented itself as clean-cut, wholesome, relatable, and free of secrets and scandals, or so the show claimed. Behind the scenes, however, even this beloved family's cast endured some hardships, some of their own making, others the consequences of circumstance, and some because of society and all its pressures. In fact, there are quite a few facts about the Waltons that slid under the radar. Even die-hard fans of this classic series might not expect some of these secrets associated with the Waltons, some wholesome and fun, others rather shocking considering the source material. The Waltons made an original concept grounded in facts. The Waltons came when America needed some truly wholesome television content. They came to represent the ideal American family. What the show did apparently worked well because it netted over a dozen Emmys with nearly 40 nominations. It wouldn't be wrong to call this televised phenomenon incredible, so much so that none other than President George H.W. Bush said he wanted families to be, quote, a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. So how does a show come to be so captivating, relatable, and beloved? It gains inspiration from real life. The Waltons, as the show was, in fact, created by Earl Hamner, Jr., based off his own original 1961 novel, Spencer's Mountain. The book and show directly pulled from his own childhood in a mining town where the Great Depression hit, so a lot of show characters and places actually have real-life equivalents. While Walton's Mountain is actually somewhere in the Hollywood Hills, the Source Mountain is located in Schweiler, Virginia. Additionally, the famous goodnight sequence at the end of each episode is authentic. It's the show's take on his family's ritual where everyone kept saying goodnight over and over until Dad told them to quiet down. A whole different face for the cast. Before it became a quotable piece of his TV history, the Waltons actually faced an uphill battle just to air. Producers had little faith in the show to hold its own and even allowed it to air with some steep competition on other networks. To help it along, the network wanted Henry Fonda to play John Walton Sr. The acting legend, who they hoped would draw audiences with star power, had recently worked alongside fellow larger-than-life icon Miss Lucille Ball in the film Yours, Mine, and Ours. Ultimately, however, Fonda turned it down. The network doubted the show's potential and wanted as much star power as possible, but Fonda read the pilot and knew they didn't need him. The family, he insisted, was the real star. So let them play to their full strengths as a whole. Instead, Fonda decided to champion another bloodline as he was cast in the Smith family in 1971 alongside a pre-Happy Days Ron Howard. Odd Jobs Offset As mentioned prior, it's a surprising fact CBS didn't show a lot of faith in the Waltons from the get-go. Even when it did, though, the network had an odd way of showing appreciation. The child actors never heard a word of thanks, and while the adult actors got bouquets as thanks, the kids received no such gifts. Michael or Ned got in touch with her inner Olivia Walton and grew furious about this imbalance. She fussed until the kids received some actual gifts. But absolutely no one really expected much of a salary. Eric Scott, a.k.a. Ben Walton, flat out said they did not get rich from the popular show. Richard Thomas, Ralph Waite, and Michael Lerned received some better treatment to be sure. But the rest just took comfort in the love they got from fans and each other since the TV family truly enjoyed working together. Sadly, fan happiness doesn't pay the bills, so when Cammie Cotler started running really low on cash, she became a teacher. Eric Scott, meanwhile, became a messenger. Art imitates life, then life imitates art as romance is in the air. On screen, Olivia and John Walton Sr. exemplified the ideal couple at the head of the family table. It worked out that their actors got along well. Specifically, outside of work, Michael Lernet and Ralph Waite were on amicable terms, too. In fact, they were almost more than amicable. There was a period where Waite was single, Lernet was single, and they thought, why not? However, they had barely started before they stopped. Lernet explained they knew they worked better just as good friends. Sparks flew and the love was real, but they didn't let any romance ensue for fear they'd ruin what they had. We never did, she admitted. We thought about it, but we didn't, and I think that's why we became a spiritual husband and wife, if you will, and I miss him terribly. His wife is a very good friend, but what Ralph and I had was something that came across on screen, but they still acted out a fiercely loving couple on screen. Life Caused the Show to Tackle Difficult Topics Sometimes, shows are forced to breach on some truly difficult situations. Sadly for the Waltons, that meant addressing both grandparents' failing health. Ellen Corby, who played Grandma Walton, actually suffered a stroke on set. Will Will Gear found his on-screen wife after she had a stroke on set. She never fully left the show, but the script really limited her appearances after that health scare. She appeared in fewer scenes and fewer episodes so she could take it easy and not regress even worse. Her absence can especially be felt by the time Season 9 rolls around. Sadly, her TV husband Will Gear actually died in 1978 after filming Season 6. Other shows might have recast the role with someone else and kept Grandpa in, but instead the Waltons wrote Grandpa's death into the show itself. Season 7 actually opens with everyone paying their respects. Grandma Walton said it best, Old man, you live in all of us. The wildly different lives we lead. Marlon Brando was not actually a Mafia Don during his downtime. Likewise, Guy Williams did not actually fight crime by horseback in the dead of night. Sometimes actors become their characters in our hearts and minds, but their private lives vary to an almost comical degree. Such was the case for the Waltons and the facts we knew about its members' lives. For example, John Walton Sr. didn't really make time for church in his life, but his actor couldn't have been more different. Ralph Waite was actually an ordained Presbyterian minister and edited religious books before he started acting so when his on-screen son john walmsley jason walton married lisa harrison he played little tony Waite was able to oversee the ceremony and officiated himself the waltons and playboy after playing a good wholesome family on tv for so many years some actors especially the younger ones wanted to totally get away from that image Young Mary Elizabeth McDonough rose to fame and maturity during a particular fad among starlets. So, she followed the trend and got herself breast implants. However, she soon deeply regretted that decision. Now, she even believes the procedure gave her lupus. My rheumatologist was still insisting that my implants were unrelated to my illnesses, but after I had my implants removed, she diagnosed me as having lupus, she recalled. Next, the eldest Walton daughter, Judy Norton, shocked everyone when she posed nude for Playboy in 1985. By doing so, she hoped to shake off the image that she could only be a prim, proper, wholesome character in future jobs. Like her co-star, she totally regretted it because not only did producers keep typecasting her as a goody-goody, interviewers wouldn't stop bringing up that event as if it were the only thing she'd done in life. Celebrate Pride with Grandma and Grandpa Walton Did you know that stern, traditional, happily married Grandma and Grandpa Walton were actually both gay? When the cameras weren't rolling... Ellen Corby smoked like a chimney, cussed like a sailor, and was an undercover lesbian. Her marriage was basically a front, so she didn't get blacklisted or hate-crimed. So if you ever hear about her caretaker, Stella Lucetta, that was her girlfriend. Meanwhile, Will, Will Geer actually became involved with gay rights activist Harry Hay, and together the two became vocal members of the movement. Hay even went on to credit Gear for helping him become so important in the movement. After all, Gere knew a lot about politics, especially communism, thanks to all his campaigns for workers on strike. Needless to say, he was blacklisted, and so was Lucille Ball. Never knew that Ellen Corby was gay. That is very, very, uh, very interesting, uh, to say the least. And especially you think back in those days, that really was like unheard of. And yeah, okay, so she had to be undercover because, you know, you have to conceal that identity. Um, you know, back then that would have been a shameful, shameful thing. So, wow. Wow. Uh, crazy. And that's, you know, that really, that's amazing to me. It really is. A family curse. Viewers loved seeing an inspiring family they could model themselves after, a fact that helped make the Waltons so popular. When the camera stopped rolling, though, things changed. The actors fought a lot of demons when filming, no matter their age or life stage. For example, both Ralph Waite and Michael Lerned battled alcoholism. It got so bad, Waite would say, I sat there one day at the kitchen table with all you kids and I felt like such a fake. Fortunately for him, his TV family helped him get his act together. He went to AA and got sober for them. Lournette's own battle started during auditions when she tried out with alcohol in her pocket and didn't end until she got sober at 78. Actually, the actors supported each other a lot, actually. So, when Mary Elizabeth McDonough started developing bad eating habits, John Ritter channeled his inner Reverend Fordwick. He got Mary to talk about her pain and told her to keep a journal, and Mary says this intervention flat out saved her life. A Legacy After the Show Most of the famous Walton's Home and Mountains were hills in a studio set to recreate the famous atmosphere of Spencer's Mountain, but TV watchers with a keen eye can can still see it. From its Warner Brothers lot, the Walton house is now the Dragonfly Inn from Gilmore Girls. Technically, the very original house burned down in an accident, but of course, they had to build another for the reunion movies. Not even the Waltons got to use the original for their movies, but another famous show enjoyed the home before its fiery end, the Dukes of Hazard. Some of the actual cast itself continued on with acting after the Waltons ended. By the time the show ended, the child actors had mixed feelings about acting, not so with all the adults. Richard Thomas went from Walton's Mountain to the FBI while well, his character did. Thomas kept his foot in the entertainment door enough to land a spot on FX's The Americans as Special Agent Frank Gad. And also, and you know, and it took me obviously all these years to realize it because I, like I said, I just recently got into the Waltons like two years ago. But Richard Thomas also plays in the original It movie. Um, So, you know, going back and I never realized that, you know, all these years I've seen It. I've seen It several, several times. And then even when I watched the Waltons, it never dawned on me that, oh, my God, that's the kid from It. And it didn't dawn on me until I watched it like a couple months ago and I saw Richard Thomas's name. And then it really it hit me. It was like, oh my God, yeah, that is him. So it, it's kind of crazy how all these years I knew who Richard Thomas was, but I didn't know. Also, Ellen Corby... Um, was in an episode of I Love Lucy. So, way before her grandma Esther days, I knew also who Ellen Corby was uh, because she played in an I Love Lucy episode. I believe it is in season five or six, um, where Lucy does Shakespeare with Orson Welles. And she was Lucy's um, child or high school drama teacher, Miss Hannah. So, if you were thinking back, huh, I recognize Ellen Corby. Well, maybe that's where you recognize her from. As of any of the other actors, uh, you know, pretty new to me. And, um, I was surprised to learn, I, um, I knew about Ralph Waite's alcoholism, but I never knew that Michael Lernet had such, um, an issue with it. Um, and, you know, she still, she looks great, though. For her age, she really looks great. She uh, I added her as part of my Inspiring Women's project. Um, not just because, you know, yeah, her sobriety, you know, reading about it, it was inspiring for me. And she was an incredible um, actress, but mostly for the fact that And, of course, we can't, again, when you see characters on TV and something in real life, you know, doesn't necessarily mean they portray that person. But, Olivia Walton is the mom I always wanted. I mean, she's just probably my favorite TV mom out there. And, um... So I really wanted, you know, that's why I fell in love with Michael Lerned because Olivia Walton is, she is, she's the mom I never wanted, or uh, the mom I always wanted. And so I was really just inspired by that entire character. Which then, you know, I looked deeper into some more of her acting credits. And that's when I did discover that, yeah, she was a recovering alcoholic. Um, R- Ralph Waite, the only reason I knew about that before then is because, you know, I remember my family talking about it. I just can't recall them ever saying anything about Michael. Um, and so it, it's inspiring to me. Um. When, it doesn't matter if you're an actor or a normal person, you know, it doesn't matter. If you get sober, it inspires me. It inspires me so much, and it makes me feel proud. And so, I really have an appreciation for that, you know, her, no matter what age you are either, 78 years old, I mean, hey, as long as you get sober at some point and you stick to it, that is a grand feat in itself. Um, And, you know, I just, I feel like, I just wish I could have had a family like the Waltons. You know, I always grew up saying, oh, I wanted to have a family like the Brady Bunch, and then later on it was, I wanted to have a family like the one in Full House. Honestly, I could have benefited a lot if I would have grew up in a family like the Waltons. I feel like I would have been... if I mean, I just feel like I would have had a total more respect for life and for my faith. Um, and just basically who I was as a person. Um, you know, each and every one of those kids were so hardworking, so respectful... And even though I was a respectful child, I feel like the morals and the lessons that that family had, I wish I would have had. Um. So it really, to me, is like, had I had been a part of the Walton family, I could have been a much better person. Now I know regardless it's a fictional family and they grew up in, you know, like the 30s, 40s, whatever, still had that been a real family and I could have been a part of it. I just feel like I would have had so much more value growing up and I would have I could have been a better person from a younger age. But I still don't take the life that I had for granted because I I know I'm a good person. I know, like, I'm discovering myself and I'm capable of great things. I just wish I could have learned it and or been raised by it in a better respect. But I, you know... I'm thankful for everything that I have learned and for the life that I have, of course. Um, But the Waltons, it really did. It changed my life um, in such a great way. And I just, I I have such a great connection to the show. I haven't watched it in a couple months because once I finished the series, I kind of, you know, I moved on to other things. But... You know how I am very show OCD. I talk about it all the time. I start a show and I I love it and then I just move on and then I kind of abandoned it. But The Waltons was one every single day. I made sure I dedicated a lot of my time to watching it. So definitely a show that changed my life for the better. Love the cast and the characters Thankful that I got to discover it, and it's a show I I learned so much from. Okay, the third place show. A show everybody loves, I don't really love. Um, I started watching it when it first came out just because I thought it sounded cool, and I thought it would look cool, but it was boring. I was bored to tears, I'll be honest. And then I had to watch it in season nine. I watched the majority of it because my girl, Brett Butler, got a starring role in it, and so I had to watch it. And honestly, when I was watching it, I felt like nothing really changed about it. It was the same boring, redundant show, and um, I, I just don't see the thrill of this show And maybe it got more exciting, there's parts of it that I just, I missed, but I just, I I was bored with it. It was very, it seems very redundant, and I just, I wasn't feeling it. The Walking Dead, which was on from 2010, and then it will be ending with season 11 in 2022. The Walking Dead takes place after the onset of a worldwide zombie apocalypse. The zombies, referred to as walkers, shamble towards living humans and other creatures to eat them. They are attracted to noise, such as gunshots and to different scents, example humans. Although it initially seems that only humans that are bitten or scratched by walkers can turn into other walkers, it is revealed early in the series that all living humans carry the pathogen responsible for the mutation. The mutation is activated after the death of the pathogen's host, and the only way to permanently kill a walker is to damage its brain or destroy the body entirely, such as by cremating it. The series centers on Sheriff's Deputy Rick Grimes, who wakes up from a coma. While in a coma, the world has been taken over by walkers. He becomes the leader of a group of survivors from the Atlanta, Georgia region as as they attempt to sustain and protect themselves, not only against attacks by walkers, but by other groups of survivors willing to use any means necessary to stay alive. So, an overview of each season, starting with Season 1. When Sheriff's Deputy Rick Grimes of King County, Georgia, wakes from a coma, he discovers the world has been overrun by zombies, walkers. After befriending Morgan Jones, Rick travels alone to Atlanta before finding his wife, Lori, son Carl, and his police partner and best friend, Shane Walsh, in the woods with other survivors. After being attacked by walkers at night, the whole group travels back to Atlanta to the Centers for Disease Control, CDC building, but find them the sole remaining scientists that no cure yet exists for the pandemic. Season 2 from 2011 to 2012 Rick's group, searching for Carol's missing daughter, Sophia, takes shelter at a farm run by Herschel Green. Tensions with Herschel's family worsen after it is discovered that he has a barn full of walkers, former friends, and family members. Rick learns that Shane and Lori were romantically involved while he was in a coma and that Lori is pregnant. Shane and Rick's friendship deteriorates until Rick is forced to kill Shane in self-defense. The commotion attracts walkers to the farm, forcing Rick's group and Herschel's family to evacuate. Season three, 2012 to 2013. Eight months after fleeing the farm, Rick's group, Sans Andrea, but with Herschel's family, finds a remote prison, which they make their new home after clearing it off walker clearing it of walkers. Laurie is killed from an emergency C-section, and Rick starts to become unhinged and hallucinate. Andrea was rescued by Makani, and the two discover Woodbury, a fortified town led by a deceitful man known as the Governor, who seeks to destroy the group at the prison. Rick's group launches a raid that destroys Woodbury, but the Governor kills Andrea and escapes. The remaining citizens of Woodbury move into the prison. SEASON 4, 2013-14 Several months after the governor's attack, a deadly flu kills many of the people at the prison. The governor finds Martinez, his former right-hand man, and kills him, taking over his group before leading them into the prison. Rick's group is forced to separate and flee while Herschel and the governor are killed. The survivors, divided, face off against the undead and make new acquaintances. They all find numerous signs pointing to a safe haven called Terminus. Group by group, they reunite at Terminus, but Rick's group, Sans Carol, is captured for an unknown purpose. Season 5, 2014 15. The residents of Terminus have become cannibals. Carol leads a charge that frees Rick's group. First Beth, then Carol are injured uh, injured and held against their will at Grady Memorial Hospital, run by corrupt cops and a doctor. Beth is shot, but Carol survives and Noah joins the group. Tyrese bleeds out. A stranger named Aaron approaches, inviting them to join the fortified community of Alexandria, led by Deanna Monroe. They feel safe, but quickly realize the residents are ill-prepared to do what it takes to survive. Rick likes the liking to a woman, Jessie Anderson, discovering she has an abusive husband. Initially hesitant, Deanna signals Rick to execute the man after he kills her husband. Morgan arrives unexpectedly. Season 6, 2015-16. The residents of Alexandria trust Rick's group to protect the town. A group known as the Wolves use a zombie horde to attack Alexandria, and Deanna and the entire Anderson family, among others, are killed. While recovering, Alexandria learns of a community called the Hilltop. A man called Jesus invites them to trade supplies with Hilltop if they can help end the threat of the extortionist saviors led by a man named Negan. Although Rick's group decimates one savior outpost, they are later caught by Negan and forced to submit to him. Season 7, 2016 17. Negan brutally murders Glenn and Abraham, initiating his rule over Alexandria. His actions initially lead Rick to submit, but Makani persuades him to fight back. They encounter a community called the Scavengers and ask them for help. Carol and Morgan befriend King Ezekiel, the leader of the kingdom, while Maggie and Sasha rally the hilltop. Rosita and Eugene make a bullet to kill Negan. When the bullet is blocked by Lucille, Negan's baseball bat, Negan forcefully recruits Eugene as a savior. The saviors and turncoat scavengers attack Alexandria, but are repelled by Sasha's sacrifice and the aid of Kingdom and Hilltop soldiers. Season 8, 2017-18 rick maggie and ezekiel rally their communities into war against negan and the saviors losses are heavy on both sides and many of the kingdom's soldiers are killed alexandria falls to a savior attack and carl is bitten by a walker before euthanizing himself carl convinces rick to end the war and restart society anew negan attempts to wipe out rick and his allies in a final battle but Eugene thwarts his plan by sabotaging the Savior's bullets. Rick then wounds Negan. Against Maggie's wishes, Negan is spared and imprisoned, ending the war. Season 9, the season I personally love, though I may be biased, 2018-19. to 19. 18 months after Negan's downfall, Rick proposes building a bridge to ease trading, but this leads to more resentment. Rick is seemingly killed when he destroys the bridge to prevent an invasion of walkers. Six years later, his absence triggers discourse between the communities and a new walker-controlling threat named the Whisperers demand the survivors do not trespass their territory. Their leader, Alpha, has acquired a large horde of walkers that she will unleash if they do so. After her daughter, Lydia, abandons her mother's group for the kingdoms, Alpha disowns her and massacres many residents during a fair. Season 10, 2019-21 alpha begins breaking down the communities by sabotaging them with seemingly random walker attacks under carol's orders negan infiltrates the whisperers and assassinates alpha her right-hand man beta takes command of the whisperers but he and the horde are defeated by the survivors eugene leads a group to west virginia to meet a new group of survivors meanwhile mcconnie travels north to search for rick after finding evidence he survived his apparent death and season 11 premiering in 2021 amc announced that the walking dead was renewed for an 11th season on october 5th 2019 The season was originally planned to premiere in October 2020, but production was delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. AMC confirmed in September 2020 that the show will conclude with the 11th season, covering 24 episodes over a two-year broadcast period. The final season premiered on August 22nd. Okay, so for the cast and characters... The list contains those that have been credited within the series title sequence and those who were credited as also starring. Recurring and guest stars are listed on other pages that I'm not going to read because I would, it would just go on and on and on forever if we were going to read all those guest stars. Andrew Lincoln as Rick Grimes, the series protagonist and a former sheriff's deputy. Rick is the leader of a group of survivors and becomes the leader of Alexandria. John Bernthal as Shane Walsh, Rick's former police partner and best friend. In the second season, he forms an intense rivalry with Rick. Sarah Wayne Callies as Lori Grimes, Rick's wife, who has an affair with Shane when she believed Rick was dead. Lori Holden as Andrea, a former civil rights attorney and member of the original Atlanta group of survivors. Jeffrey DeMunn as Dale Horvath, an older member of the group who owned the RV in which a group of survivors traveled often, and he is the voice of reason within the group. Steven Yuyan is Glenn Ree, a former pizza delivery boy who saved Rick's life. Glenn begins a relationship with Maggie Green and later marries her. Over the course of the series, Glenn becomes an integral member of the group known for his character and resourcefulness. Chandler Riggs is Carl Grimes, Rick and Lori's young son. Carl is forced to mature and learn to survive in the deadly new post-apocalyptic world. Norman Reedus is Daryl Dixon, the group's primary hunter. Daryl becomes a key member of the group and Rick's trusted lieutenant. Melissa McBride is Carol Pelletier. Originally a meek housewife, Carol overcomes domestic abuse to become a skilled, resourceful, resourceful fighter capable of making difficult decisions. Lauren Cohan is Maggie Green, the eldest daughter of the Green family. She marries Glenn, becomes pregnant with their child, and becomes the leader of the Hilltop Colony. Danae Gurira as Makani, a fierce, katana-wielding woman who joins Rick's group. Makani eventually becomes Rick's romantic partner and a mother figure to his son, Carl. Scott Wilson as Herschel Green, a veterinarian and farmer who maintains his faith and acts as the group's primary moral compass. Herschel is the father of Maggie and Beth Green. Michael Rooker as Merle Dixon. Merle is Daryl Dixon's racist and volatile older brother. In the third season, he is the right-hand man to the governor. David Morrissey as Philip Blake, the governor, the antagonistic leader of the town of Woodbury. The governor is ruthless, paranoid, and dangerous. Emily Kinney as Beth Green, a soft-spoken teenage girl who enjoys singing. Beth is Herschel's younger daughter and Maggie's younger half-sister. Chad L. Coleman as Tyrese Williams. Tough and compassionate, Tyrese places an emphasis on moral reasoning. He struggles to cope with the immoral nature of some of the group's survival tactics and finds it difficult to kill in defense of the group. Suniqua Martin-Green as Sasha Williams, Tyrese's fiery younger sister and a former firefighter. Sasha's the group's sharpshooter. After several personal losses, she suffers from PTSD. Lawrence Gilliard Jr. is Bob Stuckey, a former Army medic and recovering alcoholic who develops a close relationship with Sasha. Michael Cudlitz is Abraham Ford. Abraham is a former military sergeant on a mission to bring a survivor to Washington, D.C. to find a cure for the Walker virus. Josh McDermott as Eugene Porter, a man who claims to know a cure for the walker virus. Eugene is cowardly and inefficient when dealing with walkers, but is very smart. Christian Serratos as Rosita Espinosa, a tough, focused, and very capable survivor, and also Abraham's girlfriend. She also currently plays Selena in the Netflix series, Selena. Alana Masterson is Tara Chambler, a former Police Academy student. Tara joins Rick's group after having initially been affiliated with the governor. She serves as a primary supply runner. Andrew J. West is Gareth, the cannibalistic leader of Terminus, who captures and courses Rick's group into submission before being executed by Rick. Seth Gilliam is Gabriel Stokes, a priest who joins Rick's group. He lacks experience with walkers and struggles with his faith in the new world. Lenny James is Morgan Jones, the first survivor Rick encounters in the first season. After suffering a psychological breakdown, he comes to peace with the world around him. Alexandra Breckenridge from This Is Us, and then also stars in Netflix's Virgin River, as Jesse Anderson, an Alexandria resident who develops a relationship with Rick. Ross Marquand as Aaron, a recruiter who invites Rick's group to Alexandria. Austin Nichols as Spencer Monroe, Deanna's son and a guard of Alexandria. Tova Shu as Deanna Monroe, a former congresswoman and leader of Alexandria. Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Negan, the total totalitarian, a sociopathic leader of the Saviors. Austin Amelio is Dwight, a ruthless and reluctant member of the Saviors. Tom Payne as Paul Jesus Rovia, a scout and member of the Hilltop Colony. Xander Berkeley as Gregory, the selfish and treacherous leader of the Hilltop Colony. Carrie Payton as Ezekiel, the king of a community known as the kingdom. Ezekiel is a former zookeeper with a pet tiger called Shiva. Stephen August Simon, a high-ranking member of the Savior, serving as Negan's right-hand man. Caitlin Nason as Enid, an isolated teenager in Alexandria who forms a bond with Carl. Pollyanna McIntosh as Jadis Ann, the impassive, enigmatic leader of the Scavengers. Callum McAuliffe as Alden, a former member of the Saviors who later switches his allegiance to the Hilltop. Avi Nash as Sadiq, a former vagabond and doctor who is rescued by Carl and brought to Alexandria. Samantha Morton is Alpha, the leader of the Whisperers, a mysterious group of survivors who wear the skins of walkers to mask their presence. Ryan Hurst as Beta, the second in command of the Whisperers and Alpha's right-hand man. Eleanor Matsura as Yumiko, Magna's girlfriend who is a proficient archer. Cooper Andrews as Jerry, a member of the kingdom and Ezekiel's steward. Nadia Hilker as Magna, the feisty leader of a small group of roaming survivors. Keely Fleming as Judith Grimes, the biological daughter of Lori Grimes and Shane Walsh. She was adopted by Rick Grimes after she was born. Cassidy McClinsey as Lydia, Alpha's daughter and former whisperer. Lauren Ridloff as Connie, a deaf member of Magna's group and Kelly's sister. Paulo Lazaro as Juanita, Princess Sanchez, a quirky and flamboyant survivor who has suffered various traumas in her past and later joins Eugene's group. Michael James Shaw as Mercer, the strong general of the Commonwealth military. Mar- Margot Bingham as Stephanie Vega, a member of the Commonwealth community. Layla Robbins is Pamela Milton, the governor of the Commonwealth, and Josh Hamilton is Lance Hornsby, the deputy governor of the Commonwealth. Darabont Connections. The series features several actors whom The Walking Dead developer Frank Darabont has worked with previously, including Laurie Holden, Jeffrey DeMunn, Melissa McBride, Sam Whitwear, the dead soldier in the tank where Rick hides in days gone by, and Juan Parija. All five appeared in his 2007 film The Mist, along with Thomas Jane, who originally was set to star in the series when it was pitched to HBO. Jane was later in talks with Darabont to possibly guest star in the series as of fall 2010, but with Darabont's departure it is unknown whether the guest spot will ever happen or not. Holden also appeared in the 2001 film The Majestic, which Darabont directed, DeMond has appeared in several of Darabont's films. In addition to The Mist and The Majestic, he appeared in The Shawshank Redemption in 1994 and The Green Mile in 1999. It was planned that Whitwer, Private Jessup in Darabont's The Mist, would reprise his Days Gone By role in the original conception of The Walking Dead's second season premiere and in a webisode, but both plans were discarded. The television series generally tends to follow Kirkman's comic series across major characters and plots. For instance, events of the premiere episode of the seventh season correlate to the events in issue number 100 of the comics. The series does not attempt to go step-by-step with the comics and has leeway in the narrative. In particular, the series writers along with Kirkman often transfer how a character has died in the comics to a different character in the series. For example, in the fourth season where Herschel Green is beheaded by the governor in the standoff with Rick's Rick's group at the prison, in the comic, Tyrese is the one who suffers this fate. Some of the television characters, like Carol, have far outlived their comic counterparts, while others that have already been killed off, like Sophia and Andrea, remained alive for some time in the ongoing comic series. In addition, the writers have included characters Wally novel to the series, such as Gerald Dixon, which producer Gail Ann Hurd says helps to create a new dynamic for the series and keeps the audience guessing from what had already been established in the comic series. Bear McCreary was hired to compose the score for the series. McCreary stated that the main theme was based on his viewing of production designs for the opening title sequence. Instead of doing a full theme song as with his earlier works, McCreary chose to use a simple repeating motif from the string section. It repeats over and over, and in fact, in the pilot episode, you start hearing it before the main title begins, and that is something that continues episode to episode. You hear the main title music before the main title begins, so you know it's coming. That, to me, was the little hook, that little thing that, whenever you hear it, it takes you to the series. Greg Nicotero is an executive producer and the key special effects makeup artist on the series. Each walker is put through zombie school and is taught how to move like zombies. There are three levels of zombie makeup, hero, mid-ground, and deep background. Hero zombies are featured walkers and are completely made over from head to toe. Midground zombies get highlights and shadows on the face, but do not get close enough to the camera to require full makeup. Deep background zombies often wear masks and are only meant to be used as a backdrop. The Walking Dead is predominantly filmed in Georgia. Since 2002, the state has offered a tax incentive for large film productions to drive producers to the state and bolster its comedy. economy. The first season was shot primarily in Atlanta, but required a great, great deal of coordination with the city to shut down streets and parks for filming. Production for subsequent seasons moved mainly to Riverwood Studios, doing business as Raleigh Studios Atlanta, a plot of land covering approximately 120 acres located outside of Senoia, Georgia. Some existing buildings were used here, such as a subdivision that is used by several families, which serves as the Alexandria Safe Zone. Other buildings are constructed as sets, such as the exterior shots of the main hilltop mansion, the trash heaps used by the scavengers, or Father Gabriel's church. Sets are torn down when no longer needed. The church, after its use in the fifth season, was removed in its spot use for the iconic setting for the first meeting between Rick's group and Negan in the seventh season. The property includes sound stages constructed for interior shots, which then may be reused. The interior sets for the prison during the third season were reused to serve as the buildings and sets for the Savior sanctuary in the seventh season. In july twenty seventeen, AMC purchased the studio lot from Riverwood for eight and a quarter million dollars. Some scenes are shot outside of the studio. Woodbury during the third season was filmed in downtown Sonoya. Other exceptions include The Kingdom, which is filmed at the former military base Fort McPherson, now converted to studios for Tyler Perry. The series was shot on 16mm film up until the end of the 10th season before it transitioned to digital for the series' final 30 episodes. The change was due to the COVID-19 pandemic, with there being less touch points with digital than film. David Tattersall was the director of photography for the pilot episode, with David Boyd as the director of photography on the remainder of the episodes. Production design is done by Greg Melton and Alex Hodgew. The effects team includes veteran special effects makeup designers Greg Nicotero and Toby Sells, special effects coordinator Daryl Pritchett, and Visual Effects Supervisor Sam Nicholson and Jason Sperling. The Walking Dead contains many franchises and spin-offs. Such as some webisodes, to date, four web series based on The Walking Dead have been released via AMC's website, Torn Apart 2011, Cold Storage 2012, The Oath 2013, and Red Machete 2017. Talking Dead a live television after show titled Talking Dead premiered on AMC on October 16, 2011, following the encore presentation of The Walking Dead's second season premiere. Talking Dead features host Chris Hardwick discussing the latest episode with fans, actors, and producers of The Walking Dead. Films. The following departure of Andrew Lincoln as Rick Grimes during the ninth season, Chief Content Officer Scott Gimple stated that they plan to create three AMC original films to explore events related to Rick's character in the future starring Lincoln and with the first expected to begin production in 2019. Besides Lincoln, Danae Gurira and Pollyanna McIntosh will also star in these films. Gimple stated that these will not simply be extended episodes, nor will attempt to adapt any of the comic stories, but will heavily involve Kirkman in their development. The films will be released in theaters by Universal Pictures. The films are expected to follow a group known as the Three Rings, a militaristic force that see themselves as the future of humanity. This is the force whom Jadis was in contact with and who rescued Rick at the end of what comes after. The group that Makani sees at the end of what we become, the group that Isabella is from the episode The End of Everything from Fear the Walking Dead, and the teenagers in World Beyond will be from one of the communities set up by Three Rings. And television series, Fear the Walking Dead, which we will cover later on in this podcast. Fear the Walking Dead is a companion series to The Walking Dead developed by AMC. AMC started development of the series around September 2013 and committed to a two-season broadcast by March 2015. Fear the Walking Dead was first broadcast on August 23, 2015. Fear the Walking Dead features a different set of characters developed by Kirkman. The series starts at the onset of the zombie apocalypse and follows several people that escape Los Angeles as the military attempts to quarantine the city and seek refuge along the west coast of the United States and Mexico. The fourth season of Fear the Walking Dead features a crossover with The Walking Dead, specifically through the character Morgan Jones, who joins the cast of Fear the Walking Dead after the events of the eighth season of The Walking Dead. Similarly, Dwight, played by Austin Amelio, joined Fear the Walking Dead for its fifth season in 2019. The Walking Dead World Beyond In April 2019, AMC officially announced it had ordered a 10-episode series created by Scott M. Gimple and Matthew Negrete. The series focuses on the first generation of children that have grown up during the zombie apocalypse who call themselves Endlings and are aware of how to survive if confronted by them, but have otherwise been raised behind walls and have never actually experienced survival. Production began in July 2019 in Richmond, Virginia, with Jordan Vogt Roberts directing the pilot. The series stars Alia Royale, Alexa Mansoor, Annette Mahendru, Nicholas Cantu, Hal Crumston, Nico Tortorella, and Julia Ormond. The series premiered on October 4, 2020, and will consist of two seasons. Daryl and Carol Spinoff. A spin-off series created by Angela Kang and Scott M. Gimple to star Rita and McBride as their characters Daryl and Carol, respectively, was also announced in September 2020, with plans to air in 2023 after the conclusion of the 11th season of the main show, *Tales of the Walking Dead*. In September 2020, AMC announced they and Gimple had been developing an episodic anthology series that would be based on new or existing characters that would explore backstories. Others Wizards of the Coast worked with AMC to include characters and elements of The Walking Dead into Magic the Gathering as part of a 2020 Secret Lair card set, given that the card game had already had the idea of zombies within the game already. Parodies and spoofs. Due to its popularity, The Walking Dead has inspired dozens of parodies and spoofs featured on YouTube channels like Bad Lip Reading and television series such as Saturday Night Live and MAD TV. Bad Lip Reading made a widely viewed parody involving Rick and the Governor entitled LeBron. The series cast was shown the parody of the San Diego Comic Con in 2013 and David Morrissey, who portrays the governor, reacted by saying he now understood why so many people would walk up to him on the street and blurt, Hey, la bibbida bibba dum. Until seeing the video, he had wondered what's wrong with these people. The Walking Dead has also been represented as a live comedy performance by English comedian Dan Willis at the Edinburgh Festival. A parody film called The Walking Deceased was released in 2015. Some critics have commented on the increasing diversity of the series. This approach was initially applauded by commentators. In 2015, Lindsay Putnam of the New York Post questioned whether the show was in danger of becoming too diverse as the show seemingly reached critical mass for its non-white, non-male survivors and now has no choice but to kill them off. Robert Kirkman has discussed the increasing diversity of the show in the comic books. He has described how he regrets the lack of diversity in the early issues of the comic book series and explained how they would have been vastly more diverse if he were to have started them now. During its first season, The Walking Dead attracted between four and six million viewers. Viewership began to increase in its second season During seasons three to six, it attracted 10 to 17 million viewers. In 2012, during its third season, it became the first cable series in television history to have the highest total viewership of any series during the fall season among 18 to 49-year-old adults. In 2014, total viewership for the show's fifth season premiere was, set, was nearly 17 million, making it the most watched series episode in cable history. In 2016, a New York Times study of the 50 television series with the most Facebook likes found that, like most other zombie series, The Walking Dead is most popular in rural areas, particularly southern Texas and eastern Kentucky. Ratings began to decline during Season 7 and have continued to steadily drop, which was blamed on a variety of factors, including Rick's presumed death. By the end of Season 9, fewer viewers were watching than at any time since the show's first season. And from Mental Floss, a few facts of how The Walking Dead will never die. The cast gets together for a last supper when a character dies. As the rare show that kills its main characters with fierce regularity, The Walking Dead started its own tradition of holding death dinners for those about to bite the dust. It gives everyone a chance to get properly sauced and say, We're going to miss the hell out of you, Sarah Wayne Callies, who played Rick's wife Lori Grimes, told the Huffington Post in 2012. As the show grew in popularity, they began pretending that these get-togethers are cast birthday parties, so wait staff won't get wise and spoil who's getting bit next. Rick Grimes has been wearing the same underwear the entire time. Supply runs are mostly limited to medicine, food, and survival necessities, which means characters have to make do with what they have. The show takes that limitation seriously, which is why the good sheriff is still rocking the same black Levi's, regardless of wear and tear. But it turns out that Rick is also holding on to what's underneath. The blue, bo- b- the blue boxer shorts he had on in the hospital in the first episode, he's still got them. Don't get too grossed out, though. It's been nearly a decade for us, but only about two years in showtime since the zombies erupted. Zombie actors have to attend a zombie school. Before trying to eat McConey or Daryl, aspiring walkers have to attend a seminar where they get tips on the specific style of the show's undead, followed by auditions where executive producer and horror effects legend Greg Nicotero chooses the best stumblers. Some keys to success include staying loose and avoiding sticking your arms straight out like Frankenstein's monster. They use CGI to erase zombie breath. The actors playing the zombies are amazing, but they can't hide their breath when it's cold outside. To add to the otherworldly nature of the monsters and to be biologically accurate, The producers have to remove breath steam from the undead figures who wouldn't be breathing. The show uses a ton of CGI. A lot of it is what you might expect, but there are also little details like that making the show even better. It takes place in the same universe as Breaking Bad. Fact, Merle, Michael Rooker, has blue meth in season one. Another fact, his brother confirms that his dealer was a scrawny white boy who said, I'm going to kill you, bitch. These two elements point to Breaking Bad's Jesse Pinkman being Merle's dealer, which, t- which ties the two AMC universes together. The network even weighed in on it. Glenn, Stephen Ewan, also drives the same Dodge Challenger with racing stripes that Walter White bought his son and later had to return to Glenn's car lot. Those are solid homages to a pioneering show, but the theory that Walter White's blue meth causes a zombie outbreak is still way, way out there. The show doesn't use the word zombie. The Walking Dead's low-key slogan is, don't say the z word. That's a reference that no one in the Walking Dead universe would get because Shaun of the Dead, as well as other zombie-based entertainment, doesn't exist there. Robert Kirkman breaks his own rule in the comic book occasionally, but the show has stuck to calling them walkers, skin eaters, deadheads, wasteds, deadies, rotters, and dozens of other names to avoid saying what we all know they are. And the zombies are eating ham. Instead of chowing down on a long pig, the actors playing walkers wrap their lips around juicy bits of ham. They used to get barbecue sauce to help it go down, but the vinegar messed up their makeup, so now it's just ham with fake blood all over it. Actor Vincent Martella said it was a challenge to eat a person on the show, not because of the ham, but because of the mindlessness. When you eat someone, you have to look like an animal devouring prey, he told today. You can't look like you have any specific motive or where you're going to take a bite. And so, The Walking Dead, of course, is loved by many. It's going to have a, I mean, it already has a huge fandom. And yeah, I don't think the fandom of it is ever going to die. I think zombies are going to be like, Just the next big, huge thing that everybody's going to love. So, yeah, I mean, I think I see zombie shows just existing for forever. Alright, the fourth place show and the final show for this segment of the show. A show that I've loved from the beginning, and even though it has made quite a few changes in its storyline. It worked out for the best, and I I still absolutely love it. When Calls the Heart, which has been on since 2014 and is still going strong, season 9 will premiere in 2022. When Calls the Heart tells the story of Elizabeth Thatcher, a young teacher accustomed to her high society life. She receives her first classroom assignment in Coal Valley, a small coal mining town in western Canada, which is located just south of Robb, Alberta. There, life is simple, but often fraught with challenges. Elizabeth charms most everyone in Coal Valley except Royal Northwest Mounted Police Constable Jack Thornton. He believes Thatcher's wealthy father has doomed the lawman's career by insisting he be assigned in town to protect the shipping shipping magnate's daughter. Wishing to thrive in this 1910 coal town, Elizabeth must learn the ways of Canadian frontier. Abigail Stanton's husband, the foreman of the mine, and her only son, along with 45 other miners, were killed in an explosion due to the mining company's site manager's irresponsible management and lack of due care in his management of the mine. The newly widowed women find their faith tested when they must go to work in the mine to keep a roof over their heads, food on the table, and help pay the wage for the town's teacher. The town of Coal Valley was renamed Hope Valley in the first episode of the second season after the coal mine was closed. The main casting characters of One Calls the Heart Aaron Krakow is Elizabeth Thatcher Thornton. Elizabeth Thatcher is a passionate young teacher from city life. She found herself in Coal Valley, a small community on the Canadian frontier in need of a teacher, and quickly discovered discovers it is not an easy place to live, lacking the creature comforts and luxuries of her privileged life with her family. Daniel Lissing, as Jack Thornton, seasons one through five, is a mounty and a man of stout character and integrity. He often finds himself protecting and saving people. Upon his first meeting of Elizabeth, Jack developed an instant dislike and it appeared she irritated him. However, his light As like Elizabeth, he grew to like her and eventually falls in love with her over time. He dies off-screen in a Mountie training camp in Season 5. Lori Laughlin as Abigail Stanton, Seasons 1-6. through Abigail Stanton is a Coal Valley woman whose husband and son died in the mining accident. She is a very kind woman and she stands strongly for the things she believes in. She is one of the first women to welcome Elizabeth, and the two women quickly become friends. Abigail's character was written off the show halfway through season six after Laughlin's involvement in the 2019 college admissions bribery scandal through the idea that Abigail had traveled back east to take care of her sick mother. Jack Wagner as Bill Avery is a quiet but skilled man who acts as the town sheriff and becomes the town's judge. Martin Cummins as Henry Gowan is a businessman who owned the Lake Coal Valley Mining Company and was arrested for stealing town funds. With the help of Abigail, he is given a second chance and starts his own oil business in the town. Pascal Hutton as Rosemary Laveau Coulter, season two to the present is a flamboyant, enthusiastic actress from New York. She was briefly engaged to Jack Thornton, but called it off due to their differences. She decides to stay in town, eventually falling in love with the sawmill owner, Lee Coulter. Kavon Smith is Leland Coulter, is a kind, laid-back, patient man who opens a sawmill in Hope Valley. Andrea Brooks as Faith Carter, recurring seasons 2 to 5 and 7, main seasons 6 and 8, is a nurse who visits from Elizabeth's home city to come work in Hope Valley. Paul Green as Carson Shepard, recurring seasons 4 to 5, main seasons 6 to the present, is a doctor who works in Hope Valley and falls in love with Faith. Chris McNally, as Lucas Bouchard, Season 6 to the present, is a businessman who owns the Queen of Hearts Saloon in Gowan Petroleum. He donates the building to Elizabeth so that she can open a public library for the town. Lucas and Elizabeth begin dating in Season 8 before briefly breaking up over misunderstandings. They reunite in the Season 8 finale and begin an official courtship after sharing their first kiss. Kevin McGarry, as Nathan Grant, Season 6 to the present, comes to Hope Valley with his niece, Allie. Nathan develops feelings for Elizabeth, but is unable to ask her out. He proclaims his love for her in Season 8, but she rushes away in shock. It is eventually revealed that Nathan came to Hope Valley to protect Elizabeth and her son, as he feels guilty that Jack died while he took his place for the training assignment. In the season 8 finale, Elizabeth informs Nathan that she is not in love with him but will always care for him as a friend. Eva Born as Clara Stanton Flynn, recurring season 2 to 5, main season 6 to present. Clara Stanton is Abigail's daughter-in-law who works at the cafe and marries Jesse Flynn. And Aaron Buchholz's Jesse Flynn, recurring seasons 3 to 5, main season 6 to present, is a former outlaw who now lives in Hope Valley. Some notable guest stars throughout the series have been James Brolin as a circuit judge Jedediah Black in season 1, Brooke Shields as Charlotte Thornton in season 3, Josie Bissett as A.J. Foster in seasons 4 and 5, Niall Matter is Shane Cantrell in season four. Michael Hogan is Archie Grant in season seven, and Terrell Rothery is Helen Bouchard in season eight. The series originally planned to be filmed in Colorado, but it's filmed south of Vancouver, British Columbia, on a farm surrounded by vineyards. The fictional frontier town of Coal Valley, later Hope Valley, was erected in late 2013. Some of the set trimmings and a stagecoach came from the Hell on Wheels set. The Thatcher home is the University Women's Club of Vancouver. And from Screen Rant, a few things you need to know about the cast of When Calls the Heart. Erin Krakow's decided to be an actress because of her brother. Erin plays the teacher Elizabeth Thatcher Thornton in When Calls the Heart. Her acting career has been brilliant, having starred in a number of Lifetime productions as well as popular TV shows like NCIS. Interestingly, it was her younger brother that made her take up acting. When she was five, her brother was born and he suddenly became the center of all the attention, She thus started acting in plays to prove to her parents that she was super cool, hence get back the attention. The acting bug has stuck with her ever since. Daniel Lissing dated Aaron. Daniel Lissing, who portrays the heroic Jack Thornton, once dated co-star Aaron Krakow. The two shared a blissful romance before Lissing left the show and went on to work on other projects such as The Rookie. Lissing is currently engaged, and he's reportedly planning to wed, planning to wed his fiancée, Nadia, soon in Bali. Apparently, the wedding was supposed to take place in the summer of 2020, but it was postponed to, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. He reportedly invited Aaron to the wedding. Wagner's love for dancing and music. Jack Wagner portrays Bill Avery in the show. Bill starts out as the town sheriff before becoming the town's judge. Wagner happens to be very much in love with music and dancing. Back in 2012, he was a contestant on the 14th season of Dancing with the Stars. He partnered with the popular dancer Anna Tribunskaya. Unfortunately, the two were eliminated and finished at position 11. Wagner also had a lengthy music career. He has recorded six albums so far. His single, All I Need, topped the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1985. Martin Cummins made a film about his own life. Martin portrays the ambitious businessman Henry Gowen in When Calls the Heart. In 2000, he fully funded and oversaw the production of an emotional film named We All Fall Down. After starring in the popular MGM series Poltergeist, The Legacy, in the late 90s, Martin used the money he was paid to fund the film. We All Fall Down was based on Martin's darker years as he went on the downward spiral after the death of his mother. The film was nominated for a Genie Award. Paul Green is quite the multi-talented lad. Paul Green can literally do everything. The actor who portrays Dr. Carson Shepard is an expert at beach volleyball. He also engages in several other sports, including swimming, boxing, golf, table tennis, gymnastics, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, and surfing. That's quite a lot, and it seems like everything, if you ask me. And if that's not enough, he plays several musical instruments, namely piano, guitar, drums, and the harmonica. Green also ha- has also appeared in over 100 commercials in his career. Andrea Brooks is in the Arrowverse. Brooks plays the nurse Faith Carter one Calls the Heart. Given that she has mostly appeared in Hallmark movies, viewers might be wondering what other gigs she's done. Well, she's had a pretty big one. Brooks plays Lex Luthor's henchwoman Eve Teschmacher in the CW series Supergirl. Eve is also a former assassin and secret agent of the criminal organization known as Leviathan. Eve was in love with Lex Luther, but eventually began hating him after learning that he had deceived her on a number of occasions. And Paul Green's mother also has appeared in some of his movies. Whenever the director needs extras, Paul always makes sure to call his mother. Paul's mother, who is of Dutch origin, has appeared as an extra in five of his movies. She should have just been an actress, too. However, Paul's mother is a nurse. He also has a son named Oliver, who he co-parents ex-wife Angie with Angie Green. The two are reported to be very close despite breaking up. He is currently engaged to girlfriend Kate Austin, who he proposed to in Italy in 2019. He definitely has no complaints about his family life at the moment. So originally I got into When Calls the Heart because typically I would only really watch Hallmark for the Christmas movies. Still do, by the way. Um, but originally I got into When Calls the Heart because I knew Lori Loughlin was in it. And remember before this whole college scandal thing, I really idolized lori she was one of my favorite actor actresses and um i don't know like i said i've kind of gone into it a little bit the whole situation is just i have i have feelings about it and um but even after the series i was afraid like i feel like the series is different without abigail but i hate when they recast characters And it sucks that some of the characters, because of her, namely the boy Cody, um, you know, had to depart the series as well because of her. You know, the way they wrote her out, really, it works. It worked. And it really fits. And um, I still love the show regardless one of my favorite shows. I look forward to watching it every every year it comes around. So no hard feelings. You know, I understand Hallmark has to do what they had to do, but she also had some pretty good Christmas movies that they no longer show. But, again, you know, I totally understand. Um, in some ways, I feel like it was blown out of proportion, and I just kind of wish, like, you know... They started bringing back reruns of Full House, but in the end, I understand why they made this decisions that they did, and all we can do is just, you know, we can't believe everything we read, but at the same time, all we can do is just kind of go on with our lives, and it is what it is. But I mean, Lori Loughlin, she really was an incredible actress. She had some wonderful... Lifetime movies, such as um, Empty Cradle. I mean, phenomenal. I mean, she had some wonderful, wonderful movies. Um, And so it's just really kind of sad that, um, you know, she basically ruined her career. But I still would love all those movies if I ever saw them again. You know, slowly getting back into watching Full House Um, and you know, it is what it is. She is a human being. We all make mistakes. You know, who knows what really went down with the story because you just, you can't believe everything you read in the media and you know, it's her life. She chose to do what she did and you know, we just have to kind of accept it and move on.